the wonder of love. Wonder at the things that God has done. Have you ever received a Christmas gift that you went, wow, that was amazing. And any time that you think of a Christmas gift that you've received, doesn't matter how long ago it was, that was the standard for the Christmas present. My parents, as a a seven-year-old, bought me a motorbike for Christmas when I was seven years old and the shed door opened and it was sitting there and it was yellow Suzuki and it was beautiful and it set the standard as a seven-year-old that I've been disappointed every Christmas since (laughs) and maybe you're the similar way where that one time in your life you committed to wonder and you saw the things of God and you saw them and go that's what Christmas is all about. I've experienced the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ in my life. And that's it. And then every other year afterwards, you're going, well, this isn't the same. And as time goes on, your time goes on, you look back and go, well, it was way back then. I'm a different person today. My challenge to you through this series is maybe you're in a low point right now. And maybe you're in a point now where you're thinking to yourself, I could never see myself back there ever again. Is to take the time right now, we've been challenged through the songs, to see things fresh. And to commit to wonder this morning. This is about receiving that gift of love. And this morning we're talking about the wonder of love. Last week, we looked at Mary's attitude and her acceptance of the news that Jesus would be born. And this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Matthew chapter number one. And we're going to look at the account of when the angel came to Joseph. Put you in a little bit of context. Now, Mary and Joseph were engaged or betrothed to be married. And during this period of time, in the Jewish betrothal time, it was at least a year or more sometimes. And they would have families that would get together and they would discuss and they would say, we get along as family. We, yes, we all get along. And therefore, I have a daughter. You have a son. Maybe we should match them together. And it was a much of a family decision as it was of an individual decision. And we don't find anywhere in Scripture with Mary and Joseph that they were kicking and screaming, going, I do not want to marry that boy. We see as they wanted the best for each other, they had committed to this relationship. And through this period of time, Joseph would have been finishing off his apprenticeship as a carpenter. He would have been building on to the family home and building his own um, section of the house onto the home. And all these things would be taking place, preparing for the wedding day. And of course, God comes along and takes it and turns it totally upside down. And every single one of their hopes and their dreams and their ambitions and societal norms have been turned upside down because now Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now she's expecting a child. Joseph has a choice to make. Do I believe her story? Do I believe that this, is, this child is really from God? I mean, I've heard some big ones in my day, but I never heard that one before. You imagine the gossip that was going around. Joseph's a carpenter. He works with other men. Imagine the, the, the conversations that would take place and the influences around him of, of, you need to get rid of that girl. 
That's where Joseph finds himself at this time. And we're looking at the wonder of love today. And in, in, in Matthew chapter number 1, verse 18, we, we see this account. Here your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it's on the screen for you to follow. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He was an honorable man, but he wasn't going to stand for this. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This morning we're going to look at two main points with several subpoints and looking at the wonder of love and through the eyes of Joseph and what he was experiencing at this time. First of all, we see the source and then finally is the response to this love. Many of your children have gone through graduations for their school. My daughter Riley graduated from year six, so she's no longer a primary school student, except she has to go to school for another week. And in the graduation address, the principal was quoting um, some very positive words, but he, he quoted some research from the American Psychological Association that says this, Believing you can get smarter makes you smarter. And maybe that, that sounds perfect from a principal. Believing you can get smarter makes you smarter. I'm going to turn that around a little bit. Believing that you are loved allows you to recognize God's love. God's love for you is a fact, not a feeling. God sending his son to earth and him living a perfect life and dying on a cruel death on the cross to save you from your sins is a fact. It's not a feeling. So therefore, we're not waiting for our feelings to line up with facts in order for them to be true. We must believe, and then from that, we begin to recognize and accept God's love. It changes the way that we view everything. I was thinking through this because facts do never change feelings. Let me say that again. Facts never change feelings. And forgive me if you are a flat earth person here today that believes the earth is flat. But whether or not you believe the earth is round or flat does not change the fact that it's round. That it's round. And as you believe various things, it doesn't matter what my feelings are when they don't align with the facts. It never changes anything. 
Bible, Jesus says in John chapter number 8, verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you and I know what is true, then we get to live in the freedom of God's love. When we understand what is true about God's love for us, the fact that he loves us and cares for us, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not a cosmic accident, but you are created with a purpose. And God doesn't look at you when you're saved and see you as the culmination of all your sins. He sees you as a person through Jesus Christ and through the blood of Jesus Christ as a forgiven person. And now we have a hope, not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven. We look at all these various things and we realize it starts off with understanding and believing what is true, not my feelings. Our principle for today is this. God's love is a fact, not a feeling. Christmas is coming and will be over in two weeks is a fact. It doesn't really matter if you feel Christmassy or not. It's a fact it's going to come. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 17. I'm going to look at that just for a few moments as, as, a, as a preliminary. This is a psalm written by a man named David. You've noticed when Joseph was described, he says, Joseph, son of David. Jesus is often described as Jesus, the son of David. David was the king of Israel. He was a man that wrote the majority of the Psalms in the Bible. He was described as a man after God's own heart. He did some incredible things in the name of God, defeating giants and, and as a warrior. But also he had some ups and some certainly some downtimes. And in the ups, he wrote some psalms that would talk about the wonderful glory of God and how wonderful God is. At other times, he's just crying out to God in the low points. And wherever you are in the ups and the downs and the waves of your life, we can relate to these things that, that David is writing here. In regard to, he calls out, he says, hear me. It says, hear a just cause, O Lord, in Psalm chapter 17, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. He says, I'm crying out to you, God. Now you can read that with no emotion and just say, attend to my cry. But you imagine the emotion that's being written here. Bible commentators were actually unaware of exactly the circumstances that were taking place when David wrote this psalm. But many Bible commentators suggest it was during a very low point in his life when he was running away from a king named Saul. And Saul was chasing after David, trying to kill him. He happened to be David's father-in-law as well. So there's a lot of family conflict. Imagine their Christmases. He was hiding in caves. He was hiding and running away from his, for his life. Imagine constantly being in fear that today could be the day that I could be killed. That's what he's crying out. And he says, attend to my cry. I'm desperate for you here, God. Hear, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. In other words, I'm innocent. From your presence, let my vindication come. Wherever you are in the ups and downs of life, you may be on the top of the wave right now, or you may be in the very bottom point. David was in all three spots at different times in his life. Either you are at the top, or you will be one day, and, or you're at the bottom, 
but you will or you will be one day. Wherever you are, you can relate to this because this is the time to begin to apply these principles to our life. Learn about the love of God when things are seemingly good so that when you're in the low time, you're not having to be learning these truths. You get to apply them and instantly turn to God and say, God, I need your presence. I need you to hear my cries. I need to experience the feeling of your love because it's a fact, not a feeling. And I need to feel it now as well. It says in verse number seven and eight of that psalm, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Notice he calls God his Savior. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. In what ways can you relate to David's desperate cry of God, God, I need your Wondrous, steadfast love at this time. He's crying out to God saying, God, you're going to have to act here. You look at the world around us and we look at the, the ups and the downs and the circumstances, both financially and socially and morally and ethically and medically. And we look at it and say, God, if you don't work here, we don't know what's going to happen. You're going to have to act here, God. We're going to have to live in your love. Our first point this morning is this. The wonder of love begins with God. That is the source. The source of love begins with God. Every other love in our world is a counterfeit when it doesn't find God as the source. And with that love, we begin to love what God loves. I want you to mull that over in your mind. When we accept the, the source of love, we begin to love what it is that God loves. What does God love? It begins with accepting God's purpose. I love God's word. Matthew chapter number 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, But he, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was called by name. This was not Joseph's idea. I don't think any of us could come up with this as, as a concept or an idea and saying, oh, I thought of that one first, God. That was totally God's idea. And God was very gracious and kind to send in that dream and call him by specific name. That way he knew this was specifically his purpose, not something he was misinterpreting on behalf of someone else. And the real key behind that is when we begin to accept God's purpose, we understand that his purpose is for us as individuals. Yet I have no problem, you're probably similar, no problem seeing how other people need to act. You see very wealthy people and, and you think well, they need to be giving. They need to be generous. 
Oh, you see people act the way they act and treat others. And we have no problem telling other people how to act. But we must personalize the word of God and to say, God, you, how are you speaking to me today? What do you have for me even right here in this message this morning? We see we must accept God's purpose. We also go on from that and accept God's plan. God had a plan and Joseph had a plan. Something had to change. Joseph had a plan that was a good and an honorable plan. He was going to work. He was going to become a carpenter, just like his father and probably his grandfather and grandfather before. He was going to marry a a, a really wonderful young lady, and they were going to have many children together, and he was going to grow old, and then they were going to have grandkids and all the various plans, and they were going to retire, and they were going to get a caravan and travel around Israel. At the end, it's a short lap around Israel. It's a very short one. But they had plans and they had dreams, and you do too. But when our plans and God's plans don't align, something is going to give in our life. You ever find there's conflict in, the, in the, your circumstance and conflict in your family? And I'm not going to talk about individual conflict in your, in your lives, but maybe we need to consider and to filter through, God, am I following your plans? Just as a caveat on that doesn't mean that life is ever going to be super easy and there's never going to be problems, never going to be tears. But we must filter this through. God, am I working with you or against you in your plans? Because God had plans. He had plans that were prophesied by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus Christ came and it was fulfillment. And it says in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's Isaiah. And this is the prophecy that Isaiah wrote down 700 years previous. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our youth camp in April, the theme is Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to be looking at, through, through that weekend, the fact that God is with us and what difference does it make in our lives. You are part of something bigger and greater than yourself because God has an eternal plan. From the beginning of, before he created the world, the the scripture teaches us that he knew who you were. That instantly gives you incredible value. It instantly gives what you do here on earth eternal consequence also. We have the source of love is God. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And we must accept from that, accept God's provision. Because you ever had God prompt you to do something? And in every natural sense, you've said to yourself, I can't do that. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough opportunity. And we naturally respond with, I don't have enough. And I think God in his wonderful sense of humor looks at us and says, I know you don't have enough. You're going to have to totally trust upon my love and my provision. I remember the early days when I felt a call to ministry in my life. I was given an opportunity to speak in front of a church on a Sunday night for a youth service. And I've told the story a number of times here at church and how scared I was. And I had notes of what I felt was sufficient notes for an entire sermon. And five minutes later, they were all done. And I remember sitting down, embarrassed, thinking to myself, I could never, ever do this. 
And you know what God says? I know you can't. You're going to have to trust in me. And it's similar with yourself. God is going to have to do something in your life until you're totally relying upon his love. Those who are being baptized, who are standing up here, I asked a very specific question of them. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation? It's not Jesus and the church, Jesus and your wealth, Jesus and society, Jesus and my parents, Jesus and Mary and Joseph, nothing else. It's Christ and him alone that we, we trust on. And their provision, Joseph says in verse 24, he says, he woke from sleep. He did. Now, the Bible doesn't describe everything that took place. But there's a number of things that had to take place. He had to go talk to Mary. He had to tell her that I'm here with you. I believe you. He had to go back to work and talk to his friends. He had to talk to his own parents. He had to, to suffer some probably the gossip of others around that didn't know the story and didn't believe them. He did is an incredible two words that has a, a great deal of ramifications. Let me encourage you. Maybe this is a word for you today that you need to add yourself in there. Add your own name in. Michael did. And you add your own name in there and you trust in God's provision and say, as a result of this, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do what it is that he'll provide for me. His circumstances did not change. Joseph's circumstances had not changed after he woke up. He woke up from this dream and he was a very different person, but the world had not changed around him. What had changed was his viewpoint. He had changed in his purpose, in God's plan, and also in God's provision for him. The result was he began to love what God loved. He did. That's actually really powerful. When we begin to love what God loves... You put your name in there. He did. I'm not doing this to earn my salvation. I'm doing this because of my salvation. Because God loves me. Because he has a purpose. Because he has a plan. Therefore, I did. Let's go on from there. We see the wonder of God's love begins with the source. And it goes on to the wonder of love is shared with others and that's the natural response if you ever see a young lady who's recently been engaged they walk very funny with their hand because on their hand is a ring and they walk around standing there like this and you just happen to notice the tiny little speck of a diamond in there and you go oh it's wonderful and you see the guy and he's standing in there in the corner going yeah i i did <laughs> The wonder is the response. You know, when you've experienced this love, there's a natural response to this. And the response is, I'm going to love who God loves. When I love what God loves, and it goes on, the response is, I'm going to love people the way that God loves them. I'm going to love who God loves. It goes on from there. We see we must accept God's love personally. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says, and he, that is Joseph, called his name Jesus. In history, in his, historically, the man 
would name the children. Joseph had, a, had an opportunity. Historically, you would name your son sometimes after yourself or after a circumstance or after a family member. And he says, I'm going to follow what God has called me to do and I'm going to be obedient and call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He had to take it, the responsibility on himself to share the love and to also to respond in love. Because you can't share something that you don't have yourself. The old saying with as a parent, do as I say, not as I do. And we often find ourselves as parents saying and telling our children to do things that we're not currently practicing ourselves, at least not publicly. In public, we are do right. Secretly, we're like, don't do what I do. There's a statement made by a pastor and an author, a man named John Piper. And he wrote a book in the, in the mid-80s called Desiring God. And this is the statement. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I want you to mull that over for a few moments because it's not scripture. It's just a quote. But you think about how God is glorified in our lives. How is God shown to be God? Doesn't come from someday I'll live for him or someday I'll do what it is that he wants me to do or someday I'll experience the love that he wants me to, to have for him. When we are constantly experiencing the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the peace of God, the hope of God, the, the joy in our relationship with God, it changes our view, and that's when we begin to live, as it says, most glorifying God, when we're living in God's plan and purposes for us. Our self-image is often misunderstood because our self-image comes from our bank account, our education, what, what your report card says, what you think people think about you or say about you. And our self-image comes from external sources that are just as broken as we are. We must go back to the real source, accept God's love personally. You begin to personalize Scripture. You begin to read Scripture and say, God, you have something here for me. It changes the way that we view our Bible. It changes the way that we view others. Because no longer is it someone else's problem to take care of evangelism. Yes, we want lots of people at the Christmas carols. And yes, it makes us feel good when lots of people show up. But the goal behind that is we want to take it on personally and say, if my friends and family aren't invited, will they hear the gospel? And when will they hear the gospel? And that's the whole goal of the event. We're going to sing songs and show a movie and have various things around and have hours of setup and hours of pack up so that they can hear there's a God that loves them. We must accept God's love personally. The next is share God's love freely. The response is we share God's love freely. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, 
when Jesus was sending out his disciples. And he was sending them out to share the good news of the Messiah was there. And they were being sent out. And he says there, you receive without paying, give without pay. And it was the attitude of they were going to go out and preach the gospel because they were going to preach something they had experienced personally. They received without paying. They were to give without paying. Many of you, particularly men, will be able to appreciate this. As your men that are fathers of children that are, that are growing up, and as they grow taller, they begin to be able to reach different places that they were unable to reach previously. And bits of food, and particularly chocolate or anything special that you had around the house that you used to be able to hide on top of the fridge or on the top shelf. I'm not going to tell you where I hide my things because my kids are in the room. They begin to grow taller and be able to reach them. And as the children grow, you notice they begin to eat more and they can reach the top shelf and the hiding spots are no longer hiding spots and they find them and then you come home. Um, this is personal now, but I'm just making this general. You come home and the packet has one left in it, if you're lucky. And the whole packet of Oreos was brand new. And the whole packet's there and you come and they leave you a broken one at the end. This is, this is just hypothetical. And as you come home, you say to, your, say to your family, who ate my Oreos? And the response I often get is your office, as the church office, is right next to Woolworths. You can walk there any time you want and get your Oreos. And I tell them, I did. <laughs> and that's where they are. And you look at that and you say to yourself, because there's a finite amount of Oreos. And Oreos, if you've ever never experienced Oreos, get them when they're on sale. They're only a dollar a packet. And you dip them in a bit of milk a couple of times. Don't let them get too soggy, but just dip them a few times. They're delicious and actually good for you. <laughs> but there's a finite amount of Oreos, and normally I want them when the shops are closed. And I'm not going to go out. And <laughs> that's just like one pack of Oreos, please. But there's a finite amount. And this silly illustration comes down to this. Sharing God's love freely, although there's a finite amount of snacks in my house, there's no limit to God's love. So I can actively, and so can you, share God's love with everyone, and it doesn't mean that I have any less of God's love. In fact, I found quite the opposite. The more that I share God's love, the more that I'm experiencing it for myself, and I'm loving what God loves, and I'm loving who God loves, and the result is I'm experiencing more of His love, and I'm actually happier and more satisfied in Him. So therefore, when you go home and you find this week that your children have eaten your favorite food, I'm looking, trying to make eye contact with the fathers here. Just use that as a reminder that yes, there's a finite amount of fudge and brownies and all the other delicious Christmas food, but there's no limit to God's love so we can share it freely. We are told and commanded in Scripture 
Jesus Christ was asked, what's the greatest and first and greatest commandment? And the answer was, love God, love others. In Mark chapter number 12, verses 30 and 31, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. You think if we just put in love God, love others, how many laws would no longer be relevant in our society? Love God, love others. We also see the command to love one another. Now, this is different than just love others. It's specifically speaking, when Jesus taught this to his disciples, he was specifically teaching this to love other Christians. And specifically, he was talking about love the other disciples. The the worst impact that we could have is if we don't have unity amongst ourselves. Why and how could we invite someone else to come in and to experience the love of God if we're not loving each other in our local church? And that's something we we must be working on constantly, reminding ourselves, I'm going to choose to love them. Even if I don't feel it, it's a fact, not a feeling. We're commanded in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And you also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a tremendous church growth strategy. Love each other and our, and our love becomes contagious to those outside. And becomes attractive. We also are commanded to speak the truth in love. I have opinions about lots of things and so do you. And that when they're shared in love, they're often well received. But when opinions are just shared without love and with just cold facts, they become hard to to bear. We must tell the truth. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we're commanded to speak the truth in love. And that's what we must do in our society around us. Take the opportunities that are given to us to share this love with others. The result is we will love who God loves. We must accept God's love personally and share God's love freely. And the underlying question of the day, which I want to leave you with, is this. Will you accept God's love? And maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe something's come to your mind and you're thinking, Michael's talking about love and wonder and Christmas today and Joseph and something totally opposite has been in your heart and your mind. Maybe that's God convicting you and prompting you in a way that only God can convict and prompt. Don't let these moments pass you by. Don't be a person that says, I wish that I did. Why don't you determine right now to be a person that says, says, I did, just like Joseph. Respond in love. Let's close in prayer.